Amen. Well, the sermon this morning will be from the book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 15. And um, the title of the sermon this morning is After the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 15 for us. I'm going to read from verse 22, Acts 15, 22, uh, to the end of the chapter. Um, after the Jerusalem Council. Let's hear the word of God, Acts 15, 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and, and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to us, uh, sorry, for, sorry, verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, 
having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What a wonderful reading for us, first of all. Um, what a wonderful truth for us. The title of the sermon is After the Jerusalem Council. And this council was a momentous settlement for the church. In preparing, I thought, imagine if they'd come up with a different conclusion to what we read in the Word of God. The church would have been shipwrecked. But praise God for the person of the Holy Spirit who oversaw that council of the apostles and of the elders and the church who came to this conclusion. Well, the apostles and elders did, but then the church also recognized that was uh, seemed good to them. And so this was a major problem for the purity of the church here. We've learned last week what the assertion was. Unless people were circumcised, they couldn't be saved. Imagine that. But then it went further because we learned that this Judaizing party were not content with just circumcision, but unless the the Gentiles are going to be circumcised and then keep the whole Jewish law, they can't be saved. And so what was introduced was a potential momentous change to the gospel of what had been delivered from Jesus Christ. Remember when he hung on the tree? Remember when Jesus was crucified? Remember what were some of his last words? As he hung on the tree before he breathed his last, he said with a loud voice, it is finished. In Greek, it's just a single word, meaning it is perfectly perfect what he'd accomplished. It was completely complete. It's not like a movie. You know, you get these movies that come out, and then they, you know, they, they have a successful movie, and then they come up with, you know, part two and part three. The death of Jesus, there's no part two and part three. It's eternally settled. What a wonderful gospel that we have. But what we're faced with, before I give the headings, are the twin dangers of what? Legalism. And the opposite one is what's known as licentiousness. What's legalism? This is what was being attacked with the gospel. Legalism is wanting to add to the word of God what's already been given. And that's what they wanted to do, these false teachers, to add to the gospel. But there's also another danger as well called licentiousness. What does that mean? That means to take away from the gospel. And we need to be aware that we want to purge both of these things out of our lives. Because there are many Christians today, they say, you know, licentiousness can treat the truth of God as like a pick and mix. In other words, you can leave out what you don't like. And an example of that today, I think, would be the doctrine and the observation of the Christian Sabbath. We're not saved by the Christian Sabbath. We're saying we're saved through Jesus Christ, but the Word of God has given us one day in seven as a blessing. And people can be licentious and say, I don't like that truth, actually, and so therefore I'm going to scrub that one out. And so we want to pray, all of us, 
uh, that God would keep us free from these two ditches. On one side is legalism, adding to the word of God, commands that God's not given. And on the other side is a different ditch, is licentiousness, which is wanting to take away from what God has given us already. So I've got three headings for us from the text this morning. The first one is one accord. That's the first heading, one accord. The, the second heading is rejoicing, rejoicing. When this letter was written out to the churches, they were, they were absolutely rejoicing in the news that was given to them. And then thirdly is preaching the word of the Lord. Once this doctrinal dispute had been handled, then they were committing themselves to preach the word of the Lord afresh. So let's take a look at our text, first of all, especially in verse 25 and in verse 28. Let's take a look at the text of Scripture together. Acts chapter 15, verse 25. What does the word of God say? It says, it has seemed, in verse 25, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them with you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And then verse 28, it says this, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. They're wonderful truths for us, isn't it, really? This council gathered together the apostles and the elders, and what we see here in verse 25, it says it seemed good to us having come to one accord. Now, we ran out of time last week, which is not helping my sermon preparation, I've got to say that, but I have to revise all my sermons as a knock-in effect. That's okay, that's my problem, not yours. Uh, I tried to cover too much ground last week, but some of you may remember this Greek word here, which is a very important Greek word, which describes to be of one accord. And I'm not going to test you, but it's the Greek word homothumadon. Homothumadon. It's a great Greek word. We find it time and time again in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit brought this where the church were of one accord. As we know from the church in the United Kingdom today, that's not an easy thing to accomplish because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not based on compromise. It's based on the truth of Scripture. And what we see here, that the church were brought to be of one accord. What does it mean then to be of one accord? We, we're certainly to strive for that in the church. Paul, in his letters, repeatedly says, strive together for the unity of the church. But what it probably this is probably the best way I can think of describing this Greek word homothumadon uh, based on this council. It, it could be described as a spontaneous meeting of minds. But what we learn that this is done by the grace of God and by the working of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 28, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit that the church were brought to this unity of minds regarding the way forward regarding this doctrinal matter. And I want to bring before us what we saw in verse 28. Again, if you look at that verse, it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us 
to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Now let that sink in for us. Let me just say it one more time. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That would have been a great opportunity if the apostles had come to a different mind. But what they're saying is they gave some basic guidelines, which we looked at last week, not to eat blood or, or animals strangled. Things really all related to... Uh, Greco-Roman idolatrous worship and all those practices, practices, the apostles and elders saying, separate yourself from that. But other than that, no other burden was laid upon the Gentile Christians by which they can be saved except faith in Jesus Christ. Which leads us to, the first heading is to be of one accord and then, notice it was not Paul and Barnabas who were sent out with the letter. We saw it was actually um, in verse, let me just get the verse again. In verse 22, it says, um, they sent Judas, uh, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. But it wasn't Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas went as well, but two leading men were chosen to deliver this good news. So this wasn't Paul and Barnabas's opinion. This was the judgment of the council that was brought to them. And so our second heading is this, is rejoicing, rejoicing. And let's look at verse 30 and 31 and see what was the result of this letter being read out to the churches. Well, verse 30 Paul and Silas now, armed with this letter, it says, so they went, sorry, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Now, I'm here to preach the good news for us this morning, and I want to announce to us on the basis of this text this morning that there is no burden laid upon any of us as Christians or people who want to come to Christ whatsoever except faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a wonderful good news. That was the message that was brought to the church there in, in Antioch, in Syria, and other Gentile churches that it says here, we've, we've, we've heard, that they delivered the letter, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. This is the good news that we have. It's not that there are not duties for us to fulfill as Christians, but we are never saved by duties. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's good news for the house of the Lord this morning. And how we need that good news 
because it can be so subtle that other teachings can come in. And these Gentiles, they're probably wondering, these Gentile Christians wondering, what will be the result? Will they come back and say, yes, you've got to keep up the whole law of Moses? And the answer was, no, we lay upon you no greater burden than this to abstain from those uh, idolatrous practices. And we think of what Jesus said this morning. He said, and you shall know the Son, uh, and the Son shall set you free. It's sin that ensnares us. It's sin that's a burden. It's living after sin and chasing after sin. That's a burden, but not Jesus Christ. He comes to remove burdens. If you're living in sin this morning, what's the answer? And what a lot of people do, they run away from Christ. And the answer is the very opposite, is to run to Jesus. His arms are open always. The devil comes and says, you, you, you better not go to Jesus because you can have a wrong view of God. And Jesus says, no, come unto me. Are you in sin this morning? Is there anybody here in the Lord's house that you're being attacked by the sin that dwells within you? You've got secret hidden sin. The answer is, come to Jesus. He knows about that sin already. You're not telling him anything that he doesn't know. But what a wonderful gospel that we have. These men who came, Paul and Silas, they were not postmen. They didn't bring the letter and put it through the post box and tell them, well, the Royal Mail had not been invented then, by the way. They weren't wearing Royal Mail uniform. Now, these men were delivering the letter, but they were delivering it to read it out to the congregations. And what we've learned this morning is that there was rejoicing as a result of it. Let us ask ourselves a question this morning. How is your joy level this morning? How is your spiritual joy level? Because when the good news was brought, there was rejoicing for them. So if your joy is affected, could it be because you've taken your eyes off Jesus Christ and the true gospel, which restores unto us the joy of our salvation. There's no burdens that the gospel brings to us at all. The answer is to come to Christ who removes every burden. Let's think about heaven. There'll be no burdens in heaven. I'm sure we'd all agree with that. There won't be any burdens in heaven. But likewise, Jesus doesn't lay burdens on us now, except he calls us and keeps calling us and keeps calling us and keeps calling us and including children. So children who are here, and it's very important that children sit under the preaching of the word of God, that you also come to Christ. You're in the house of the Lord. Your parents have brought you, but they brought you so you can hear that you as children also are being invited. Imagine that, invited. If I said to you, to the children, we've got a wonderful invitation to go to McDonald's, and uh, I don't think Ronald McDonald still exists, does he? But anyway, I won't, won't go there now, but he used to exist. But there's a McDonald's party. You'd be excited. Your ear was, ears would prick up. But how much more when you're hearing this good news this morning that there's something better than invitation to McDonald's 
It's an invitation to come to Jesus Christ. And what it leads to is in heaven there'll be something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. No matter what your favorite food is, McNuggets, triple quarter pounder with cheese or whatever that it works out as, it will be nothing in comparison with the food that will be served by God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's our invitation this morning. Will you take that invitation and come to Christ? And so the Gentile congregations, they were filled with great joy. Let me say one more thing before we move to our last heading. If there's anyone who's persuade, not persuaded yet and thinking, oh no, there are lots of burdens, listen to this, what it says in 1 John. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let me just read that one more time. For this is the love of God, 1 John 5, 3, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We have a burden-free gospel. We have a burden-free message of good news. Jesus took all those burdens and the curse upon the cross so that we can be set free. Not set free so we can do what we want because if you're a disciple of Jesus, a disciple never wants to do what they want. They want to follow the Son of God. And it says his commandments are not burdensome. So there was rejoicing there, but lastly, our third and last heading is the preaching of uh, the word of the Lord. Again, I've just quickly skipped over two pages of notes that I've prepared. But again, that's my problem, not yours. We're here to preach and not just to go through the notes that I've prepared. That's not preaching. It's to give you the truth of God. The first heading was to be that the church was of one accord. The second heading, there was the rejoicing. And thirdly, there's the preaching of the word of the Lord. And as we come to the end of this narrative, what happens? It says here in verse 36, uh, sorry, verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So they delivered this letter to the church there's rejoicing, and they didn't say, well, job done, let's just all sit down now, find the local Greek Starbucks. They didn't exist either then, but there would have been something similar. They didn't say, well, let's have coffee. There's nothing wrong with coffee, but what we need is the word of the Lord. I'm sure you'd agree. But let's notice for a moment that Paul and Barnabas are committed to preaching and teaching the word of the Lord. What's the word of the Lord? Well, in Acts 4.31, it's also called the word of God. Uh, in Acts chapter 8.25, it's referred to as the word of the Lord again. In Acts 14.3, it's referred to the word of his grace. It's different phrases saying the same thing. What's it saying? That they were bringing the good news of the gospel out of the scriptures. So it wasn't a, a message divorced from the written scriptures. But remember at this point, 
none of the New Testament scriptures that we have had been delivered, not been written. But that's okay, because Jesus said in Luke 24 to the apostles, to the 12, well, the 11 before he was ascended, he gave them the instructions that they were to preach the message of forgiveness of sins and repentance to all nations, and they were to bring the message of the sufferings of Jesus and his glories by his resurrection out of the scriptures. And so they spent time preaching the word of the Lord. They spent time in Antioch teaching the word of the Lord and bringing out for them truths from where do you think? Where would you turn to if you were in Paul and Barnabas' shoes? What part of the scriptures would you look at to bring out the truth of Jesus? Well, we can choose a few places, can't we? Maybe Psalm 2, maybe Psalm 16, maybe Psalm 110, Isaiah 53. There's just abundant scriptural truth for Paul and Barnabas to choose from. But then, as they spent time preaching the word of the Lord there, something happened. We read in verse 36, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord. See that phrase again. Back in Galatia, where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, preach the gospel. Verse 37, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to what? To the grace of of the Lord. And he went through to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so our third and last heading is here is the preaching of the word of the Lord. And so what happens? We find that there's a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. But the purpose of God doesn't change. Paul then goes off with Silas to do what? to preach the word of the Lord. And Barnabas goes off to do what? To preach the word of the Lord with John Mark. Now, there's been much ink spilt, and I'm not going to take time on that this morning, you know, over all the sharp disagreement that happened between Paul and Barnabas. It's true that we don't hear of Barnabas again in the book of Acts. But we do hear of Barnabas again in other epistles and he was a godly man and exercised a godly ministry. And we hear about him in places like Corinthians and, and, and Galatians. And, and, and the gospel was spreading even further. But the whole point of the book of Acts, especially now in the second part, is focusing on the ministry of this apostle, who is the Apostle Paul, who takes the gospel into city after city, to bring this good news again. What good news? The good news that Jesus Christ has done it all. The good news that there's no burdens laid upon you. Come to Christ. He's the one 
who fulfilled it all on the cross. What a wonderful message we have. What plain, simple truth that we have from Holy Scripture. That God brought the council in Jerusalem to one accord and they settled the matter. But though it was settled, the battle will rage on until Jesus comes back. It says in Revelation chapter 12, that Satan, the dragon, the great dragon, he'll deceive the whole world. Wouldn't we want the whole world to hear this message? But we're not unduly concerned because God will gather in every one of his elect and not one of them will be lost. If you're a Christian and you're born again, you will never be lost. Because Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of his hand. That's good news. You can't even snatch yourself out of the Lord's hand. Because when the Lord begins a work, he brings it through to completion. Completion to spend all eternity in heaven with the Lord. And though we would wish that much more people in our nation would be open to listen to this message. Everyone who is open is the one whom the Lord draws. And as we come to a closing this morning, we have the wonderful good news next week of the baptism of Eliana. And if God permits, and if we're alive and Jesus not come back between now and next week, because he could do and that's not just a preacher saying that. The Bible gives testimony of that. But if we're still alive, the sermon next week will be the conversion of Lydia. But we'll save that until next week. But every single one of God's people whom God has chosen to bring into his kingdom, every single one of them will come in. But at the same time, we do pray, Lord, be merciful. Pour out your spirit upon the church because we desire a larger effusion of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And I want to pray this morning because one of the burdens that you and I have is the burden of unsaved family members who are resisting the gospel. We have over 40 family members in the Netherlands alone who we have good relationships with. But there's many of them who are not saved. And you've got family members this morning. Husband, wives, brothers, sisters, children. And they're not in Christ. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer as we come to the end of this sermon now. And specifically to pray that the truth of God would come uh, to us. But also to pray specifically for those family members that you have and that I have who don't know Christ. And if God can save the Apostle Paul, quite frankly, anybody can be saved. There's none of our family members are off limits. In fact, there's one person sat here this morning 
and they were being challenged with the gospel. They thought they were a Christian, and they had some Christian friends who were born again who said to them, you're not a Christian. And they said, yes, I am. I'm just as good as you are. They said, you're not, which was a shock. And they gave them some information for them to go away and read. And this person said, they said, as far as that whole born-again business, it's a load of nonsense. And that same week, that person was born again. So don't look at your family members and think they're not showing any response. There's no hope. With God, there's always hope. The resurrection gives us hope. So we're going to be praying now and coming before our Lord and asking him to be merciful for our family members who don't know Christ. And as we'll be still before the Lord for a moment before I pray, maybe you can just bring those family members who are on your hearts this morning which really presses down on your soul. We'll be quiet for a minute or so, and then I'll lead us in prayer.